Hello, this is Rabbi Daniel Karopkin. Welcome to this podcast for learning the classic philosophical work by Maimonides, or Rambam, called More Nevuchim, or Guide for the Perplexed. This text has been studied for centuries by great scholars, Jewish and non-Jewish alike. It seeks to reconcile Aristotelian and Neoplatonic philosophy with the Torah of our people, and is considered the perfect entree for reconciling one's spiritual and rational personas. Join me for half-hour installments as we explore the text together. Today, today's Mora Nevuchim Shir is uh, for section chapter 18. And if anyone needs the actual text of the Mora Nevuchim, it's here. And I have a handout. And as well, anyone who's watching online, please remember that you can go to the Facebook group um, Shi'ur in Morenavuchim, and you can find all of our handouts in JPEG format ready for you to download or just for you to view online. Here, let me just pass these around. Here we go. Um, there's a little bit more verbiage in today's chapter, but it's actually quite straightforward. Um, the Rambam is going to be discussing three different verbs. The verbs are approaching or karov or kufresh bet, coming close, nagoa, which is touching, nun gimel ayin, and coming near, which is nigash, nun gimel shin. Those are three verbs that the Rambam is going to be talking about today because they are used metaphorically in describing behavior of God. And because they describe some kind of spatial approaching, they are problematic in the sense that God does not occupy space. And therefore, you can't talk about God of coming close. And so that's going to be the, the, the topic of, of today's discussion. There's a very interesting um, responsum that appears originally in Arabic from a 15th century Yemenite rabbi, source number 20, on the other side of your sheet. He says, um, he asks the question, In a prior chapter, we had looked at three verbs having to do with looking or gazing. And the Rambam had described this, uh, this verb, and he wanted the, the, the question was, what is the Rambam's approach to these verbs? He says, so in the response, he says, Da ki And so he wants the, to clarify this, Rabbeinu Chatar ben Shlomo al wants to clarify that all three of these verbs really relate to the same idea, which is to see, having to do with the faculty of the eye. However, The Rambam puts all these three words together to clarify that they really mean all of the same thing, roughly, approximately. But then he says, but other synonyms are not to be construed in that way. And therefore, don't make the same uh, um, uh, equation 
when it comes to these three verbs that we're going to be seeing in our chapter today. Because these all describe different levels of strength or weakness in the act of approachment. He says, because karav is lesser than nigash, and nigash is lesser than naga, as we'll see. When a person is makriv, or is hikriv, or karov, he's coming close from a very far distance. Nigash is to come much closer, and naga is to actually come in physical contact. And that's <clears throat> what this uh, Yemenite sage, Rabbeinu Khatar, wants to try and make sure that we understand that they are not, the Rambam is not equating these words as synonyms, but rather he's telling you that they all have the commonality and that they describe a spatial approaching. Okay, so he writes as follows. These three terms, I mean approaching, touching, and coming near, sometimes signify to draw near and approach in space. But other places, they signify the union of cognition with what is cognized, which, as it were, is similar to the proximity of one body to another. And the Abarbanel just wants to clarify and make sure that we understand that whereas the first two verbs, karov and naga, can be used to describe both animate and inanimate objects, um, and both humans and non-humans, the, ter- the verb nigash, which means to come close, is exclusively used throughout Tanakh to describe a human being's motion in coming closer to something that it is its object. And that's perhaps the reason why the Rambam writes them in this order, karov, naga, and nagash, because nagash really uh, logically should come after karov and before naga. But the, 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 the reason why they're divided in this way is because Karov and Naga and Naga refer to both human and non-human uh, approachment, and Nagash is only when it comes to human behavior. Examples of the first signification of approaching that is approaching in space, which is like Karov, are some examples. Vayhi ka'asher Karav el hamachane, that when Moshe Rabbeinu came close to the camp. From very far, he was atop Mount Sinai, source number one. He's atop Mount Sinai, and he comes close to the camp, and he sees the, 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 the golden calf. He sees the dancing. Another example is from Shemos Perak Yudalid from Exodus chapter 14. Ufar ohi kriv, paro drew close. The first signification of touching, of naga of touching is the drawing near of one body to another. And therefore, one example is in Exodus chapter 4, where it says that Zipporah circumcised her son when Moshe's life was endangered, she thrust the foreskin to his feet so that the foreskin touched his feet, presumably Moshe's feet. Okay, so that's uh, the, the, the word vataga from the word naga means to touch, to come in physical contact with. Another example is from the prophet Isaiah, vayaga alpi, that God placed a hot coal in my prophecy, to, in this, the prophecy that I was having, to touch my mouth. The first signification of coming near, which is nigash, 
is the act in which one individual goes and moves towards another individual. Remember, it's only human behavior. Thus, um, we have this, uh, this pasuk the, from Parshas, Vayigash. And the word Vayigash is the, is the verb, nigash. Vayigash elav Yehuda. That Yehuda approached Yosef. Okay. Now, so up until now, we've seen these three verbs used in terms of spatial approaching. But now let's look at the second use of these three verbs. The second signification of these three terms is, is union in knowledge and drawing near through apprehension, not in space. So you can come close to an idea. I'm coming closer to this understanding. I'm coming closer to an understanding of the issue. Okay, we see that even in English. It doesn't mean that you're coming spatially close, but you're coming closer to an idea. Thus, scripture uses the word touching in the sense of union in knowledge. So it says, if you, uh, and this is from uh, Yirmiyahu, it says um, that Bavel, if someone could please stop shaking the table, because we're filming, thank you. Ki naga el hashamayim mishpata, that it says about Bavel and the wickedness is that they have come to touch heaven uh, their judgment has come, has approached heaven, meaning that their evil has come to the attention of heaven, and now it's time for their judgment. As for approaching, it is said, and the cause that is too hard for you cause it to approach me. This is from um, par, uh, Parshat Devarim, where uh, Moshe is explaining what uh, the system of judges that he set up using his father-in-law's advice where he says, Anything that is too difficult for you, bring it toward to my attention. Bring it close to me. That doesn't necessarily mean that you bring a court case spatially, physically to me, but bring something to my attention is takrivune lai. Okay? Scripture says, as it were, let me know it. The word is thus used to denote the act of letting somebody know a knowable thing. As for coming near, nigash, it is said, vayigash Avraham vayomar, that Avram came close to Hashem, or Avram approached God, and he said, from, from you know, the arguing for the uh, inhabitants of the Sodom cities, he said, ha'af tispet tzadikim rasha, is it fair for you to wipe out uh, both righteous and wicked at the same time? But there it's vayigash Avraham, Avram approaches God. Now, how do you approach a non-spatial entity? It is that Avraham, uh, well, he was in a state of inspiration and prophetic trance, as shall be explained. Avram was asleep at the time, so he couldn't even walk if he wanted to because he was in a trance. So, therefore, it must be referring to a non-physical approachment, and that's why it refers to an approaching of knowledge, a prophetic approaching. Uh, another example is from, again, Sefer Yeshayahu, that it says, Vayomer Hashem, Ya'an ki nigash ha'am hazeh b'fiv u'visfatav kibduni v'libo rachak mimeni, that God is rebuking the Jewish people, and he says, this people have approached me with their mouth and with their lips, they honor me, but with their heart, they are still distant from me. So closeness and distance are in terms of mental or spiritual or emotional closeness to Hashem or distance from Him. So those are, those are all of the examples that the Rambam has given. Now, 
the Rambam is now going to say something very curious. He's going to take two out of the three verbs, and he's going to say that when it comes to approaching, which is karov, and coming near, nigash, they can also be used in terms of prophecy. He says, every mention of approaching and coming near that you find in the books of prophecy, referring to a relation between God, may he be exalted, and a created being, has this last meaning. However, naga does not have that meaning. Naga will never be used as as a term of uh, having a prophetic experience with God. You can come close to God. You can approach God in a prophetic experience but you can't actually touch God in a prophetic experience. Now, the reason for that should be self-apparent, but we'll explain it anyway. The reason is, is because no matter how prophetically lofty a person is, they will never have complete communion with the infiniteness of the Almighty. Okay, so no matter how much you try to approach God, you'll only come close, but you'll never actually have complete conjunction and touching. Okay, so, and this, the Abarbanel makes the point of saying this. He says, for God may he be exalted is not a body, as shall be demonstrated to you in this treatise, as we've been saying all along. And accordingly, he, may he be exalted, does not draw near to or approach a thing, nor does anything draw near to or approach him, may he be exalted, in as much as the abolition of corporeality entails that space be abolished. If God is not corporeal, if God is non-physical, then he can't occupy any space. He cannot move through space. So that there is no nearness and proximity and no remoteness, no union and no separation, no contact and no succession. So there's no coming close, there's no touching, there's no removal of that touch. I do not think that you shall grow doubtful or perplexed because scripture says, right? Now let's take take a look at a Pasuk that maybe presents something somewhat problematic. If you look at Tehillim, uh, Psalms chapter 73, it says, Va'ani kirevat elokim litov, that it is, the Lord is nigh unto all, and uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, Tehillim kuf memhe, Psalms 145, Karov Hashem lechol of lechol asher yikra uhu ve'emet, that we say from Ashrei, God is near to all who call out to him. That's not spatial nearness, or, as it says in Yeshaya in chapter uh, 58, they take delight in approaching God. As the Pasuk says, Kirvat Elokim Yechpatsun, they desire coming close to God. Or the nearness of God is my good, which is Vani Kirvat Elokim Litov, it is good for me to approach God. For in all these verses, nearness through cognition, I mean cog- cognitive apprehension is intended, not nearness in space. The same applies to its dicta, and, all of, and he's quoting a whole series of, of psukim. And he quotes a pasuk from Moshe Rabbeinu, where it says, V'nigash Moshe levado el Hashem, that only Moshe could come near to God. And he says, I'm just skipping a couple lines, the verse is to be interpreted in this way, unless you wish to consider that the expression shall come near, used with reference to Moshe, means that the latter shall approach the place on the mountain upon... Uh, uh, upon which the light, I mean the glory of God, God has descended. For you are free to do so. He says, you know what? If you want to um, interpret Moshe coming close to, the, uh, to, to God as being a spatial approachment, 
you have every right to do so, even though that's not correct. In other words, even though that's not how I would read the Pasuk, because I try to distance any kind of spatial occupation of God, nonetheless, in the special case of Mount Sinai, if you wanted to interpret the Pasuk that way, because it was clear that God, some manifestation of God's glory was upon the mountain, right, where God let his uh, Shekhinah, or some manifestation of himself, appear on the mountain to be, to be visible, that people could actually have an understanding that there was godliness present, and you say that Moshe approached that kind of apparition, you would have a right to do so. However, you must, however, hold fast to the doctrinal principle that there is no difference whether an individual is at the center of the earth or even if this were possible in the highest part of the ninth heavenly sphere, for he is not farther off from God in one case nor nearer to him in the other. For nearness to him may he be exalted consists in apprehending him. You are close to God mentally, and mental closeness is the goal of the philosopher, to be mentally close to the Almighty. And remoteness from him is the lot of him who does not know him. And there are very many gradations in being near to or far away from him in this respect. Now what the Rambam is referring to over here, and he says, I shall explain the manner of these gradations and apprehension in one of the chapters of this treatise, is that towards the end of the first section of Mora Nevuchim, specifically in chapters 59 and 60, the Rambam is going to explain the different levels of prophetic experience. Because just because a, perf- a person is deemed to be a prophet does not mean that all prophets are created equal. All prophets are different. Moshe's level of prophecy was higher than all of the other prophets, and then you have varying degrees of prophecy depending upon the proficiency and experience of the prophet in question. And that, he says, we'll get into next time. As for its dictum, touch the mountains that they may smoke, now let's, let's talk about other psukim, which talk about not a human being coming close to God, but God coming close to other things. He says, I have to cover those as well. So if we take a look, he says, Right? The, 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 the verse in, in Psalms 144 calls upon God to touch the mountains and let them smoke. Scripture signifies thereby in parabolic language, meaning not literally God touch, like you know in the, in the famous Sistine Chapel painting of God touching man, right? That's not what it means. It means let your decree come upon them. In other words, when it says God touch mankind or touch the mountains, it means affect mankind in a certain way. It says in a similar way that Vega el atzmo ve'el bisaro, that um, uh, uh, God tells the Satan when he, the Satan asks for permission to afflict Job, to afflict Eov, God says, "Okay, you can touch him." Vega el atzmo ve'el bisar, you can touch his person. You can touch his flesh and afflict it, um, <clears throat> and you can do whatever you want to him, but don't kill him, right? So, meaning, let thy infliction come upon him, and really, um, um, really, the Satan is asking God to do this. Please, God, touch Eov in some way, afflict him, so that you may see that he is not as faithful to you as you think he is. That's really the way he, the, you read the pasuk. Consider in a similar way the term touching and all its derivatives in every passage in which they occur in this context. 
Sometimes the word is intended to signify the approach of one body to another, and sometimes union through the cognition and apprehension of a certain thing. For one who apprehends a thing that he did not apprehend before has, as it were, approached a thing that previously had been remote from him. Understand this. So let me just, uh, now that we've finished the text, let me just point out a few things. Number one, the Meforshim explain that, um, that this is really the end of a whole series of chapters that we've seen, at least five chapters that we've seen up until now, that discuss the spatial language that is used in terms of God. And um, really, the whole purpose of these last few uh, chapters has been to distance ourselves from any kind of spatial designation of Hashem. And this chapter is no different. Just a, a few other things. First of all, it's curious to me that one of the verbs that the Rambam did not address is the verb davak, or dvekut. That's a term that the Torah uses when it talks about cleaving unto Hashem. Uledavkavo, that you shall cleave unto God. And the reason why this is curious is because the Talmud itself says, how is it possible to cleave unto God? Right? If you take a look at source number 18, it's a, it's a quote from Tractate Ketuvot, page 111. It says, That there's an obligation for you to love the Lord your God and to cleave unto Him. So the Gemara asks the question, Is it possible for a person to cleave unto the divinity, unto the divine presence? So the sages conclude that it doesn't literally mean to cleave unto God, or like to attach yourself to God, but rather if a person marries off his daughter to a Torah sage, or if a person does business and therefore benefits a Torah sage commercially, financially, or if a person provides benefit in some other way to a Torah scholar with his assets, then scripture attributes it as if he is cleaving unto the Shechina. Because by attaching yourself to godly people, you are attaching yourself to, in a sense, to Hashem. Because these people represent Hashem in this world, and so by you engaging with them in some way and providing them benefits and pro- providing them livelihood, you are in some way uh, touching or coming close to God. So why didn't the Rambam use the verb dalid beit kuf in this discussion? Any, any thoughts, any ideas? It could very well be that the Rambam understood that this verb was already covered by Chazal as not referring to prophetic or intellectual attachment to Hashem. Because clearly, when our sages interpret the verse, they refer to it in terms of um, uh, your commitment to God on some level other than the, uh, other than the intellectual. They understand, and, and, and contextually, when it says, love the Lord your God, is not an intellectual exercise, it's an emotional exercise, and therefore perhaps means 
have excitement about being attached to Hashem in some way in this world. But it's not the same kind of intellectual attachment that the Rambam is referring to in this chapter. And because, of course, the whole objective of this chapter is to re-emphasize the, what the Rambam feels is the most vital project within Judaism, which, is this, which it has in common with the project of philosophy, and that is to intellectually cognize that which is most important in life, and that is ultimately God. And therefore, dvekut is not an intellectual exercise of, 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 of intellectual attachment to Hashem, but it refers to something else. However, and, and that really brings me to, to a, a really interesting uh, a literary piece. Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero was a Kabbalist, one of the premier students of the Arizal. And he wrote a number of works, a number of Kabbalistic works. Um, and he has an introduction to a midrash called Shi'ur Koma. And we're going to be revisiting this midrash. We've talked about it a little bit in the introduction to the Rambam, referring to how the Rambam dealt with problematic texts, which were, when I say problematic, problematic lishitato, uh, for him, they were problematic. Shi'ur Koma is a midrash which ascribes physical, uh, anatomical, human proportions to God. God's height, God's arms, God's legs. And it's a very, very problematic midrash, especially if you're a Maimonidean philosopher who does one's utmost to distance any corporeality from Hashem. And uh, therefore, the Rambam had stated in an epistle that Shi'ur Koma is a forgery. It is actually not a legitimate midrash. And it was, uh, in, it was uh, sort of uh, brought into the canon of midrashic literature by mistake by someone who tried to infiltrate the rabbinic canon, but this is not of rabbinic origin. Rav Moshe Cordovero clearly did not subscribe to that belief, nor did the, the entire Kabbalistic school of sages throughout history. And as a matter of fact, Rav Moshe Cordovero wrote an introduction to Shi'ur Koma. And it's, very, it's quite esoteric, and I don't have any expertise in this text at all. But what I did note, quite interestingly, is that in chapter 28 of this introduction, he starts the chapter off with using the very same three verbs that the Rambam starts off this chapter with. Karav, Naga, Nigash. And clearly he's, he's well-versed in Moren Nevuchim because there's no other reason to list them, these three specific verbs, in this specific order exactly as the Rambam does in Moren Nevuchim. And he uses many examples of this and he says that it is no different than the verb davak, umichlalam davak mo'uladavka bo ve'atem advekim badushem elokechem chayim kulechem hayom. You are all cleaved unto the Lord. By the way, that could be another reason why the Rambam, it is clear to him that the verb davak does not refer to intellectual apprehension, because if the Torah says, ve'atem advekim, all of you are cleaved unto Hashem, and he's speaking to the masses of the Jewish people, clearly the philosophical experience of, in, of intellectual closeness to Hashem is not something, the prophetic experience is not something that can be accomplished by the masses. It can only be accomplished by the philosophical and prophetic elite. And so therefore that's another proof 
that the Vekut cannot be referring to uh, intellectual closeness with Hashem. It must be referring to something else. But what's interesting is Rav Moshe Cordovero, as the Mekubal, says there's, there's absolutely no difference. If you're going to group all of these as coming close to Hashem, then Dveikut is also the same form, it's the same genre of coming close to Hashem, because a Mekubal does not view the prophetic experience as a purely intellectual one, but rather it is the holistic, spiritual essence of the person who has the prophetic experience. We're going to be discussing this more as we get into more contrast between the Rambam and uh, Rambam's view of prophecy and others' views of prophecy, especially the more Kabbalistic school, but that's just one illustration. <coughs> and then the last thing I want to leave you with is, and where we don't really have a lot of time to go through the whole sh- uh, introduction, but he says something fascinating. First, he reiterates what the Rambam writes, that coming close does not mean a spatial approachment to Hashem, because God is non-corporeal, um, however, he then goes on and he says, let me just see where this is. He says, God is never found or isolated in one specific space, but rather when a person meditates, right, he, um, all of his uh, faculties leave his physical body and he becomes much closer to this idea of Dvekut and is able to leave his body and come into a higher realm and become close to Hashem. And then he writes, and this is um, in the text that I have for you in Source 19, it is six lines from the bottom. He says, but in addition to all I've just said, that really is in accord with the Rambam, there is also a concept of different levels of the ladder the ladder, the Kabbalistic ladder, which describes the different emanations of God into this world. The Hamadrega HaAcharona, who mitziut mitgalein ki'inyan marut marat gilui enaim lemalachim yusagu b'chush hagashmi. He says the lowest level of divine manifestation is where a person can sometimes actually see with his physical eye some manifestation of the angels where angels are actually visible apparitions. He says, you can find this also in the base medrash, in the synagogue, and in the temple, where there were physical manifestations of some divinity apparent. And it's no different from what appeared at Mount Sinai. The Rambam seemed to say that you would be mistaken if you understood that coming close, when Moshe says a Moshe came close to, to the divinity atop Mount Sinai, that it refers to a spatial approachment towards some manifestation of God. You could if you wanted to, but that's not correct. Right? Rav Moshe Cordovero, as the Mekubal says, not only is that the correct interpretation when it refers to Mount Sinai, but in every holy place, you can find physical manifestations of the Almighty very different from the Rambam. This is a classic example, and we're going to see this perhaps in many other instances, of how later commentaries appropriated the text of the Moreh Nevuchim and repackaged it for purposes that the Rambam would have been appalled with. Right? In other words, if the Rambam read this, he would say, I'm appalled that you would actually 
even believe such a thing, because this is a corporealization of the, of the, of the incorporeal God. And you're taking too many liberties. And what are you doing giving an introduction to Shi'ur Koma, which is in itself a falsified medrash? It's not even a real midrash. It's, it's just fascinating how the Rambam has been used and repackaged for purposes that the Rambam himself would have never endorsed. There's actually a new book by um, Professor Jim Diamond and Professor Menachem Kellner that talks about the reception literature of how the Rambam has been interpreted and used by later commentaries, sometimes correctly, and quite often sometimes for purposes other than what the Rambam had originally intended. But this is a good illustration of that. Questions, comments? Yes, Mary. So you gave us a taste of this con- contrast also in your, um, your Shabbat Shubhad Rasha when you talked about the Rambam and the Ramban's approach. And it was kind of like, to me, oh, finally we're hearing the, a different approach. I mean, because the Rambam has an approach that can be sometimes, I don't know, I find difficult, the distance he seems to have. Right, it's, it's, the Rambam's God is a very transcendent God. Yeah. So how, how is it that isn't one right and one wrong? Or like, how can we take things that are so different and, 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 as you said, in opposition to each other and say they're both right, they're both ours? How? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is that there is room at the table for a Rambam and a Ramban for a Rambam and a Moshe Cordovero, there is room for the Kabbalah and there is room for the philosophy of the Rambam to occupy the same Beit Midrash. There are certain differences that are simply irreconcilable between the two. The, co- the tension between imminence and transcendence is something that is discussed in philosophy of, of God in general. But when it comes to classic Jewish literature on the subject of Hashem himself and how he's to be understood, you have min ha-katzeh, el ha-katzeh. You have people on both ends of the spectrum which cannot be reconciled. And ultimately, when it comes to philosophical issues that are non-halachic in nature, the good news is, is that you're not forced to decide which one is correct and which one is incorrect. Because it doesn't affect, in most instances, I shouldn't say all, but in most instances, it doesn't affect halachically how you, um, how you live your life. How you think about Hashem varies from commentary to commentary, and there will not, it's very rare to get consensus on any of these kinds of very esoteric issues. And an individual, therefore, should read them. And like we talked about on Shabbat Shuvah, when you're davening, when you're in the midst of prayer, you could transition from speaking to the transcendent God to then speaking to the imminent God, depending upon your mood, depending upon the type of petition that you're putting forward, and so forth. So there's more to discuss about that, but that's, that's the fluidity of the human mind in its relationship to the Almighty, I suppose. Okay, have a good day.